That feels better. Hey, how are you guys? Um, one of my absolute favorite topics is passion. Is, is we've, we've said zeal, but zeal's an interesting word. I'm not as worried about if we don't know what the word means, but, but passion. Um, and I, I hope that this morning, and I hope that actually every Sunday morning, and not just Sunday mornings, but my hope is that we, we don't let our lives become routine, that we don't let our lives become the status quo, that we don't just get used to doing what we've always done because we've always done it. Um, I think it's so important. And I'm talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about Monday mornings. I'm talking about Monday night. Routine is something that is so easy to come in and you get so used to it. And there's nobody that ever got up and said, I am so excited. I'm going to, you know, turn on my coffee machine like I always do at 645. Here we go. Let's go. You know, routine can, can, can take away from those kinds of things. And I know that we come here and we sit here at the same time, oftentimes in the same seats, and there's so much routine, there's so much familiarity. But can I encourage you to stir yourselves this morning? And not because this morning's significant, because it's not, but stir yourselves because he is significant. Stir yourselves out of the routine because he is worth stirring yourselves out of the routine. Don't let anything, even if it's a person talking next to you, take away from what God is wanting to do in you and through you this morning. Amen? So passion is something that has so gripped me. Um, but I w- as I was thinking about passion, I was thinking about how kids, and I have two little kids, one who doesn't qualify as a kid because he's not one yet, so he's just, you know, he's, he, he's come into his own though. But we're talk- I, I was thinking about how passionate kids get, how passionate kids get. Do you remember when you were a kid? Do you remember, Jeanette does, do you remember, was it easy to get excited about things when you were a kid? What's, what kind of things did you get excited about as a kid? Just throw it out. Presents. Yep. I still get excited. Lollies. What else? Holidays. Oh, that's very, I still get excited about holidays. Ice cream. Very good. What kind of ice cream, Ron? Hokey pokey. Yeah. I like orange chocolate chip myself. You can't get that in the States. So I, I stock up when I come jelly tip. Oh, I love New Zealand ice creams. I get passionate about ice cream. That's a good one. I love the Ninja Turtles. Did anybody else love the Ninja Turtles? Do I, have, do I have a witness in the house of God this morning? All right. But when I was a kid, it was easy to get excited about the Ninja Turtles. I loved everything about the Ninja Turtles, and I still do. The movie came out recently. I loved it. It was amazing. My favorite Ninja Turtle was Michelangelo. He was the one with the orange, and he had nunchucks. I love the Ninja Turtles so much that on our honeymoon, um, I... Um, we were in San Francisco, and we, we went to, uh, to, to Chinatown in San Francisco, and I bought, like, a little sigh. I think you're supposed to buy your wife presents and do nice things, but I bought, and that's one of the Ninja Turtle weapons, so I thought it was pretty cool. But anyways, it's not hard for me to get excited about the Ninja Turtles, or it wasn't hard for me. One of the things about kids is they don't have filters that block the things that they can get excited about. It's just so easy. I think about Archer. He's not in here, but Ben is sleeping away. Archer, he can get amped about anything. We're like, we're going to go to the living room. Let's go to the living room. And we're running into the living room. And like, there's not much in the living room that wasn't in the other room, but like, we're doing it, you know? Um, he can, he gets excited about legitimate things like going to, we went to H2 Extreme this week. And, um, and he's, he loves the slides and he can't swim, but he goes backwards on his stomach and he's flying down the black slide where you can't even see. And I'm like getting there dizzy trying to hold him. And, you know, um, 
But he gets excited about those things, but he also gets excited about going to the grocery store and errands, and he can make anything exciting. But my point is this, is he doesn't have lenses that prevent his passion from coming out. He doesn't have blockages that stop his passion. That, and, and there's so many reasons for that, but I think as adults, oftentimes, not always, we have so many things and even teenagers and just anywhere, you're trying to be cool now and you've got all sorts of things. But I don't think we stop that as an adult. We're still trying to be cool and we worry about what other people think. And there's all sorts of things. I think that can inhibit our passion at times. But I just want to read out Matthew 18 for you very briefly. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's one of the keys to passion is to turn and become like children. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, we have, to, we have to act like children in all of their, their ways and things like that. But there is something so, and this is a word that I thought of, unadulterated, their passion. And I even looked at the word, you know, they don't have any adult mess in their lives. That's why they can come through so passionate, so zealous, so, and it doesn't even have to be about anything significant. But it's sincere as well. We're going to talk about that in a little while. And I think adults can lose their childlike wonder. Have you noticed that? And I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think there's a rule that says when you get to a certain age, you're supposed to lose your childlike wonder and just live in the routine or live in the status quo. And it can happen at any age. I think it's so important that as we're looking at passion, we see the importance of what it is to turn and become like a child. Because have you ever met that person who isn't really excited about much or who has lost that sense of passion. And sometimes it's us. There's seasons that we all go through where sometimes things don't look that exciting. And I'm not necessarily talking about that, but just as a general rule of thumb, I looked up the word apathy. Um, So apathy, where it comes from. So you have the A is a negative or, you know, it means a nothingness, if you will, and the pathy, pathos, emotion, or passion. So apathy literally means a negative of passion or no passion or there's it's nothingness of passion. And so I was thinking about the the correlation between light and darkness, right? Light is the substance. Is darkness a substance? It's actually not. It's it's a nothingness. It's actually the absence of light. And that's the same thing with apathy and passion. Passion is full of life, and apathy is lack of passion. It's the nothingness of passion. And I think when you, it's so easy to, as we're talking about it, have lenses of different things that come up that can filter or that can hinder or that can actually even detract from our passion. And without knowing it, I think we can become apathetic way too easily. Way too easily it can come. It's not like any, nobody says in the morning, I want to go and be apathetic this morning. You know, that's just not a desire you have. But it's lack of passion is what the definition for apathy is. That was so challenging to me. And then you have 
um, the person that has the new passion every time you talk to them. I've got a couple of friends that every time I talk to them, it's the latest and greatest, weirdest thing that they're like all about. Like this is the thing that's going to change the world. And I don't know if that's necessarily happy either, if that's a healthy passion. But this morning, the title you can see up there is what's the matter? So what's the matter with you? Do you remember what was David Riddell's last point that he shared with us last week? Anybody? Settle the matter. Settle the matter. And this morning, the question that he posed to you, I'm posing you to you again, and hopefully we can unpack it a little bit, is what is the matter? What is the matter? What is your cause? That's what he said the matter is. So he said, settle the matter. What is your cause? What is your vision? And before you let it float out there to, uh, you know, just a rhetorical question, can you answer that for yourselves to the best of your ability inside your head? You don't have to share it out. What is your cause? What is your vision? What is the matter? I love what David said about vision or what he said about what the matter is. He said this, and if you're a note taker and you didn't get this last time, I would encourage you to write this one down. He said a vision is you picturing how much better the future could be. A vision is you picturing how much better the future could be. And I don't care if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian or you're, anyone can resonate with wanting to see a better future. What is your future? What is, what is that picture of a better future for you? And um, I'm going to unpack that a little bit, but I wanted to, to throw a question that might be out there that you might have had when David said, settle the matter. So he said, settle the matter. So the question that I want to maybe answer, ask from the audience is, well, what if I don't know what that is? So I, I hope that you all had something in your head. But what if you don't know what the matter was? What if you don't know what your cause is? It, what if you don't know what your vision is? And I think that's a valid question. I want to first and foremost affirm that question is really valid. It's not like this is an easy thing, I don't think. It can be easy for some, but it's not easy for all of us. The one thing, though, alongside affirming that, this is something that is so important that I want to suggest to you that it is worth fighting for. It is worth wrestling for to determine what your cause is. It is worth giving everything that you have to find out what your cause is. What is your cause? What is your vision? What is the matter? I think one of the answers, and I'm just going to go through a couple of suggestions that I have of how you can possibly find that matter, how you can possibly find that cause, is what we've already said, but to turn and become like a child. I think if we can drop some of the adult lenses, if we can drop some of the, no, that won't work because of this. No, that won't work because of this. It might be cynicism. It might be doubt. It might be apathy that you have to push through. But I think it's worth pushing through those things to find out what your cause is, what your vision is, what your matter is. Jesus says, turn and become like a child. And I think one of the things we've already touched on this morning is why that's so important is because as you start to get excited about something, as something starts to grip your heart as far as a cause goes, as far as your vision, you don't put the blockages up. 
So as soon as it's like, oh, actually, I'm excited about this. And then if you're like, oh, that won't work. And you start turning down. And what, what does that do? What does that create? That creates more apathy than it does passion. It creates a lack of passion. And I'm not saying that practical things aren't important. I think they're very, very important. But what I do think is that you need to give them time to flesh out. Give time for things. I think that's what a child does. And a child is like, they're unrelenting. I can tell you they're unrelenting. Oh, my goodness. They're always going to keep pushing. If Archer wants something, I don't know if you remember, if you were here last week, but he was ready to go and I was talking to a couple people and he was eventually like, Dad, I'm ready to go now. You know, he's not going to stop until he, he wants to go home and have some lunch and things. Can I encourage you this morning? Be unrelenting like a child in finding things that you're passionate about and don't give up on them. Remember, we're just recently talking about Joseph and the dreams that he's put on your heart and those kinds of things. And we talked about the first thing that when you step into a dream, there's an obstacle. There's a barrier. I think oftentimes we let those obstacles and barriers make us apathetic. We, we let them take our passion for what God has put and placed into us. Another suggestion I have for you is ask people around you. If you're having a hard time figuring out what your cause is, what your vision is, what the, what's the matter, ask people around you. And I think this is another step of being bold and fighting for it because sometimes it can be, it's a struggle to sometimes go out and ask people such personal things. But ask the people that are next to you, the people that know you the most, your spouse, your siblings, your home group leaders, your home group members, your boss, your coworkers, what do I get excited about? Where do you see me all of a sudden engage? Where do you see that my pulse starts to quicken? And it might be negatively. Maybe you can reframe it and make it positive, whatever you're doing. But that still might be an indicator. Sometimes your frustrations might indicate what your cause is. I think it's so important. Ask people around you. The next thing I want to suggest is to know your lane. Know your lane. And what do I mean when I say know your lane? This, to me, is getting rid of comparison. This isn't saying... Jesse does things like this. So don't compare me to anything. It has nothing to do with me. Don't compare Bruce to anything. Don't compare Keith to anything, how he does drug arm. Um, Each of us are going to do different things. Don't worry about their lane. Worry about your lane. What is your lane? And that's what we're saying this morning. What is the matter? If you're too busy, you know, I I was thinking this morning, if you're bowling and you keep looking at the person next to you who keeps hitting strikes and you try and copy them, you're going to gutter ball it every time because you're too busy watching over there what they're doing. And I think a lot of times we can be watching someone else's lane or comparing ourselves to them or even trying to mimic them. And I think it's so important to know your lane and know the lane that God has gifted you in. And that brings us to 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. He says, and this is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I was struck when I read for this reason. So what is Paul is instructing Timothy for this reason. Fan into flame the gift of God or the King James says stir up the gift of God. 
But for this reason, so there's a reason why he's reminding him to do that. What was the reason? You back up just to the, the previous verse, and he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. I am reminded of your sincere faith. So here's the point that I'm making in this. Sincerity needs to precede passion. Sincerity needs to precede passion. And what do I mean by that? Exactly what we've been talking about. Turn and become like a child. A child doesn't have barriers up. It doesn't have manipulative things that are up there. A child doesn't have those kinds of things that inhibit what your cause is, inhibit what your challenge is. They're so sincere. That's, I think, what I'm struck by is that children are so sincere. Their passion is so pure, and we've been talking about that this morning. But he says to stir up the gift. Do you practice stirring up your gifts? How, how do you stir up your gifts? I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but I love Matthew Henry's, um, he's a Bible commentator. He says, these gifts we must stir up. We must exercise them and so increase them. Use gifts and have gifts. We must take all opportunities to use these gifts and so stir them up, for that is the best way of increasing them. And can I encourage you that in our hour and a half time on a Sunday morning, it's a very limited space to use our gifts. I think the best time to use them is 24-7. So let's use them in the church, but let's use those gifts. Let's use the thing that God has gifted you everywhere and all the time. Stir up the gift. I think this is what it, it's get passionate about what God has given you. When we say stir up the gifts, I hope that we've all shifted that it's nothing to do with us actually. I think that's something so easy to think, just saying, oh, what are we doing? Here we go. I'm going to go change the world for myself. It's actually not at all. Stir up the gift. The word gift in the Greek actually means free gift. Who gave you that gift? God gave you the gift. God gave you the cause on your heart. You not being passionate about that which God has given you isn't actually a detriment to yourself, but to the glory of God. You not getting passionate and zealous for the thing which God put in you isn't actually as much to do with you, although it is a lot to do with you, as it is about God and as it it is as much about giving life to other people because they're going to be the beneficiaries of whatever you're passionate about. They're going to be the beneficiaries of whatever you're zealous about, of the thing that God put inside you. Paul says to Timothy, Stir up the gift, fan into flame the gift of God. He wouldn't need to do that if the gifts were operating in Timothy. So I don't want to, there's no condemnation in this. This is an exciting time to engage our gifts. Because if, if a powerhouse like Timothy, who was doing all sorts of amazing things as young as he was, if he needs a reminder to stir up the gift, then so do we as well. Stir up the gift, fan into flame the gift of God. As you're doing that, as you're engaging them, as you're praying and seeking God and doing the things that we've talked about, can I encourage you this? I love the phrase, fan into flame the gift of God. All you need to fan into flame something is what? Is air. And all you need is air in your lungs to fan into flame the gift of God for you. But then here's my suggestion. Can I encourage you to encourage someone else 
in their giftings, in their cause, in their vision. And I think that if you start to fan into flame with the air that's in your lungs, somebody else's vision, you might have some people that come around and partner with you and start fanning into flame your vision and your cause and the thing that you start to get really passionate about. Encouragement is so powerful, and there's power of life and death in the tongue. When, when folks come up and encourage me, that is the fuel that helps my passion stay alive. That's the difference between apathy, lack of passion, and passion, which is full of exuberance, life, and energy. Encourage somebody else in theirs. I love what David Riddell said. He said, self is a very small cause. Self is a very small cause. Are you living for yourself or are you living for the glory of God. Are you excited about, are you passionate about, are you being a good caregiver of the gifts and the cause that God put inside your life? I read a book recently, um, Courageous Leadership by Bill Hybels. And uh, it was a really good book on leadership, but also on vision. And before anyone checks out because they don't think they're a leader, if you talk to somebody and they listen to you, you're a leader. That means you have influence. Somebody's listening to your ideas. You have leadership potential. You have leadership abilities. And I think as Christians, I hope that we take on the role of leaders in regards to not forcing our opinions, but being that light that shines to the world as we engage. And I'm going to share some quotes from Courageous Leadership this morning. But before I go into that book, there's a quote that I wanted to open up with. And I'll just show you a very quick 20-second clip from Bill Hybels describing something. But he says... Sleepy leaders don't change anything. Sleepy leaders don't change anything. Is there something that you think needs transformation in our world? Are we doing pretty good? What about in your house? Is everything like exactly how it should be? Or do you want change in some area? Do you want transformation in yourself in some area? Sleepy leaders don't change. And the quote goes like this. Sleepy leaders don't change the order of things. And I think that what there's, I think there's something great in there that it's actually the order of things of how something's set up. You can go over here and try and change this, but if you don't change the order of things, it's still going to eventually go back to where it was. Um, Mel, if you could go ahead and uh, play that, that little clip for me. are actually gifted by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to move people from a current state toward this preferred future. They move people from here to there. Play it one more time, Mel. Leaders are actually gifted by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to move people from a current state toward this preferred future. They move people from here to there. I think that's a powerful thought. I've been captured by this thought, and it might seem oversimplistic to you. And maybe it is oversimplistic. Maybe I'm just simple in the way that I'm thinking of that thing. But I would encourage you to know what your here is and know what your there is. And I would take whatever this big, scary word of vision, or when David Riddell posed the question to us, what is the matter? 
I want to suggest that you make it as simplistic as something that can fit into this kind of a model. Moving people to a preferred future. I love Bill Hybel's definition of vision. And if you're a note taker, write this one down. He says this. He says, vision is a picture of the future that inspires passion. Vision is a picture of the future that inspires passion. I think that's a powerful imagery. I think that's a powerful thing. How many of you have a picture of the future that inspires passion in you? How, how long has it been since you've allowed yourself to feel that energy and that passion that comes from the picture of the future? I only had Ron and Ben Polson's hands up. So we've got, a, they're leading the way. And there's a Tina in the back. But I know, I know many of you will have that. But what we're saying is, open those doors. Let that picture of the future that inspires passion start to percolate in your spirits. Let it start to bubble up. Don't put the blockages on it. Now, there's going to be wisdom. We have to work with people. Community is one of the most powerful gifts of God. So we have to work within that framework. But stir up the gifts of God. Fan into flame that which he freely gave you. Get excited about that the king of kings would actually entrust you with something. It's not our vision, but it's to give him glory as well. Vision is a picture of the future that inspires passion. And, and he says a vision is powerful because of the energy and the passion that it evokes deep in one's heart. Passion is so important because it's, it's literally the energy that you have to do the things that you need to do. If you are apathetic, lack of passion, it, you will not have energy to do the things that you need to do. The, the scientific definition of energy is apparently um, the ability to make something work or the ability to move. So passion literally is your thing to, to get you from here to there. I didn't have a whiteboard, so I just took a picture of it after I drew it on a whiteboard and put it up there for you guys. From here to there, what is your here and what is your there? I just wanted to share with you very, very briefly uh, just a couple of folks from the Bible um, that, that I think really knew their here to there that really were captured by the sense of what the vision was for their life, what the matter was with their life. I want to talk about Joshua. He was a young leader that was infused with purpose. He was infused with passion. He was infused with a vision for the future. What was his vision? He wanted to see a people group move from being slaves to moving into the, into the uh, promised land. Why do, you, why do I say that they're still slaves? If you don't own land, if you're not settled, if you don't have your own space, you're not fully free in that regard. They were in limbo for quite a while. And in their mindsets, one of the reasons the folks couldn't move into the promised land is because they were still in slavery. But Joshua wanted to see his people move. And does anybody here have a picture of the future where people are free? I hope so. And I hope that we don't just let that be a nice thought that resonates on a Sunday morning, but that we go home and we say, God, how can I, if this is the thing that you've laid on my heart, help somebody else come to freedom? Can we let that percolate long enough? Can we let that vision of the future inspire passion? And then I'm going to talk about later, but I just need to throw this out because I watch some of the faces ticking over. What are the things that are immediately telling you, I can't do that? Oh, this is a barrier. Oh, that's too big. Because can I tell you how big God is? Can I tell you how magnificent he is? Can I tell you how wonderful he is that he works all things together for the good for those that love him? Now, 
if we can get that in our spirits to believe it, I don't want it to be a nice thought. And Sunday mornings can't be a nice time that we spend. Our lives are too short to waste apathetically, without passion. Joshua, I'm just going to paraphrase the verses very quickly. But he says, so the Lord tells Joshua, arise, go into the land that I have for you. Everywhere you go, I'm going to give you this this land. He says, don't forsake the Bible because this is going to be the way that you succeed. He says, be strong and very courageous. He says, he says it again. He says, be strong and very courageous. He keeps telling them, be strong and very courageous. Can I say that those words are for you this morning? And he even says this, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you, be strong and very courageous. Take those words to heart this morning. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joseph was captured by the vision that Jesus had put in his heart. He knew where his there, he had a literal from here to there. I wish ours was as easy, you know, like you step over that river and they're like, we're in the promised land. You know, I wish it was that easy. He had such an easy from here to there, but then he had a whole bunch of giants to take care of. What are the things even now, as you're listening to my voice, I don't really believe that I can do those things. He was so captured by his here to there. David. I love David's story. It's really powerful. And it doesn't do justice for the time that we have this morning. But David, he he's, he comes up. It's David and Goliath, the, the great kid's story. How many of us just like these kid's stories and then don't apply them to our lives? So this this phenomenal kid's story. He David comes up to his, his um, brothers to give him some bread and cheese and grain. And he says, I'm trying to bring this to you for refreshments through the war. And um, he, he hears Goliath come out and issue his charge that he's been saying. And it says, all the men were running. All the men were fleeing. But then David stood. Well, everybody else, and I think this is, this is a marker of passion and zeal. When everybody's going this way, you're staying here and you're going this way. Passion and zeal. David was passionately captured by that which God had spoken to him. As he started to verbalize, who is this Philistine? Do you know what, it, what did his older brother tell him? He said, he's like, don't you have a couple of sheep to be looking after? What are you, what are you doing here? What was David's response to him? The Bible says that David turned and talked to another. I thought that was a great response. And, and he told him, he said, what, was it just a word? I think that criticism is the number one apathetic enforcer. That as soon as somebody starts to criticize you, what you're doing, your vision, your cause, your giftings, what does that do? It literally, I picture like a syringe and your passion's over here and apathy's over here and it just sucks it out and it takes all of that out of there. But can we be like David and say, was it just a word and turn and talk to somebody else? Criticism is the number one killer. So that people hear about David's boldness. He's saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's fighting words right there. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He goes and he gets before Saul the king. And what is Saul's first response to David? Kid, what in the world are you doing? You're crazy. But what does David tell Saul? He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Let no man's heart fail because of him. And can I tell you this morning, don't let your heart fail you. Don't let passion leave you. Don't let zeal leave you. 
Because when the giant comes, don't be found running with everyone else away from the giant, but you can approach the giant in boldness and say, who is this that defies the armies of the living God? What was the vision that David was so captured by? David was so captured by the bigness of his God. He said, I don't care how big you are. You could be 16 feet. But my God is the God that can move mountains. My God is the God that can make the blind to see. My God can make the deaf hear. He was captured by a vision of how big his God was. And he was captured by this vision. He didn't want to see his people running in fear. He didn't want to see his people captured by fear. Maybe your vision this morning is to be an advocate for folks that are in fear. Pursue it with everything that you have. The final person that I, I, you can't not mention when you talk about passion is Jesus. Have you all seen The Passion of the Christ? The movie, The Passion of the Christ? It was hor- it, it's not like easy watching, but it's, it's a very, very powerful movie of the death of Jesus. And Mel Gibson made the movie, and there's controversies around things with the way that he did it, but it's still a very powerful movie. My cousin was actually saved when we, they showed the movie at church one time, and I brought him, and he was, he's kind of like the, the, the partying, like, let's do it, we just want to have fun kind of guy, but it was a powerful moment of revelation when he came. So that movie's kind of precious to me in that regard, that it was the door that opened up to his salvation. Um, but Mel Gibson originally wanted to just call the movie The Passion. It eventually turned into the passion of the Christ. But I thought there is no better fitting word to describe our Savior and what he did for us than passion. And we, it was passion fueled by love, his, his love to redeem mankind. But that exhibited itself in passion. If you're loving your wives, if you apathetically love them, I don't know if they're really going to feel your love. Apathy is the lack of passion. Christ gave absolutely every single thing that he had where he even felt forsaken by God so that you and I could have life. And I think it's behooving of us to do exactly the same with the thing that he has called for us to do, to give every single thing that you have. And if you're finding this morning that there's parts of you that aren't given over to it, I would just ask yourself, why? Bring it before God. When you bring it to the cross, don't bring it because you're saying, God, I want to feel good about myself. But God, I am so grateful for what you actually did at the cross that I want to give every single thing, every single part of me. I don't want anything held back to come before you. And anyways, you're the one that gave me the gift. You're the one that gave me the cause, the matter. What is the matter this morning? What is your cause? What is your vision? And if it's not worth going after, maybe that's not your cause. Maybe that's not your vision. Turn and become like a child. Pursue those things. What has dimmed the light of the gift of God in you? I wanted to share one final verse as we're wrapping this up to a close. Romans 12, 11 says this. Do not be slothful in zeal. Slothful is a mouthful. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Slothful. I looked up the definitions of these words because I need to understand what it was really saying. Do not be slothful in zeal. Slothful means lazy. Slothful means apathetic. Slothful means, I love this definition of it. It means do nothing. Don't do nothing. 
in zeal. Zeal, we've been talking about this. What does zeal mean just in a couple of words? Ardent concern, enthusiasm, eagerly desire. I loved uh, the picture of what David Riddell brought to us when he said the word enthusiasm actually comes from a Greek word that means somebody that was filled with enthusiasm. People said that they were filled with the gods. That enthusiasm is a mark that you're actually filled with God to some, to, to some degree. So do not do nothing in your ardent desire. Do not do nothing in your enthusiasm. And then it says this, be fervent in spirit. The word fervent, it just means this, having or displaying a passionate intensity. Be fervent in spirit. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Be fervent means have or display a passionate intensity in spirit. So it says, Have her display a passionate intensity in spirit. What does spirit mean? The word spirit is a Greek word, pneuma. Pneuma literally just means breath. So it's just the breath that God breathes into us. So I love this definition of it. It said in the, in the translation that I was reading, it said your breath is the immaterial part or the invisible part of you that communicates with God. Be Be fervent in spirit. What is that saying? You need to have and display a passionate intensity with the part of you that God breathed into you. This isn't the Ninja Turtles that we can get excited about. God didn't breathe that into me. Although I'd like to think maybe he had a little part to do with creating them. What has God breathed into you? What gifts has he given you that you are displaying a passionate intensity? And if you're not displaying a passionate intensity... It might be those things of doubt and criticism and really significant things that have jaded us, that have hurt us. But I don't think those things are worth containing that which God has done in us. Amen? The Spirit of God is longing and yearning and so passionate for you. I'm just going to read out very briefly Psalm 139, just the first part of it, because it's it's just got some good stuff in there. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. That is a God that is passionate for you. That is a God that is yearning for you, that longs to be with you. This is my last thought for this morning. I think the greatest tragedy of folks not walking in passion or not walking in the zeal of what God has placed in you is this. It comes directly from Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a, city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you do not have passion... If you do not have zeal, apathetic, apathetic, disinterested Christians are not being a light on the hill. It's when you stir up the gift of God, when you know what the matter is, when you know what your cause is, when you have a, a picture of the future that inspires passion in you, is that is when you can pursue it, and then we can truly be the light on the hill. Amen? Amen. The world needs the light that abounds in you. And the light wasn't even given to you anyway. The light was freely given to you. Shine that light. Be passionate. Be zeal. Be be zealous. Be strong and courageous. 
Don't let any boundary hinder you from doing what you need to do. Don't let religion hinder it. Don't let conformity hinder that. I love this quote from Bill Hybels. He says, it's your job to keep your passion hot. Do whatever you have to do. Read whatever you have to read. Go wherever you have to go to stay fired up. And don't apologize to anybody. I'm like, I'm going to go do something. I hope you're encouraged this morning to be strong and courageous. To stir up the gift of God. Because there's a world that desperately needs the light. Your families that desperately need the light. And every, every light's going to be different. Remember, know your lane. I'm going to pray for you really quick. And then we're going to actually encourage and pray for some people that I think are passionately stirring up their gifts as well just in a moment. And then we'll have a finance update. Let's get excited about the finance update. I'm just kidding. You don't have to, but. Jesus, Lord, we just come before you right now, Father. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall in this place. Jesus, I pray that there would be unabated passion in this place for your name. For Jesus, if you really died on the cross, Lord, let us not get status quo about coming before you. Father, I pray that the reality of how big you are would capture our hearts. Lord, I pray that the reality that you've actually given every single person in here gifts. I pray for the reality that you have given every single person here a matter, a cause, a vision. And Lord, I speak an unlocking and I speak in a releasing and I speak a powerfully moving forward from a group of people, Jesus, in this room and their families. Lord, I pray that we would not be worried about preference and style and all sorts of things that actually hinder our passion. Lord, I pray that criticism and doubt would go by the wayside, knowing that you speak to us. And what you're telling us is not to go the other way, but to say, who is defying the armies of the living God? Be strong and courageous. Father, we just ask that you would impart that spirit to us this morning. You are so good, Jesus. You are worth getting excited about. You are worth getting passionate for. Lord, correct our worldview where it needs to be corrected. Encourage us. And Lord, those that are struggling finding that place, Lord, I pray that you would give them compassion. I pray that you would lovingly draw them up into passion for you as you start to set them free, as you start to show them light, Jesus. And Lord, I declare that this place would be a place of light. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.